Howdy, I'm Paul Isaacoder, and this is Author's Dozen, a podcast where I explore barriers to storytelling by writing one novel every month for 12 months. Please enjoy. Hello, and welcome to Author's Dozen. It's me, Radio Paul, and I am doing a podcast. And here with me on this critics collab where we look at my books, we looks at books and we, uh, we, we take them apart and put them back together. And it's all about criticism and how good it is. And here he is the critic and, uh, his name is Austin. Hello, Austin. Hello, Paul. Do we want to hide the fact that, uh, we both have the same last name, uh, with that? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't want any accusations of nepotism here. Yes, Although you haven't heard my thoughts on it. If oh. it's just glowing praise, I think people will be super, uh, uh, suspicious of that. Well, you know, of all the people I've had on, um, you are the only one who will be within coughing distance of me this holiday season. So, yes. uh, I want to be, uh, you know, that's not a threat, uh, but maybe a little <laughs> bit it is. Um, <laughs> Uh, anyway, so yeah, but um, Austin is my cousin, and Austin, tell me a little bit about uh, what you do and uh, why I chose you, you think, for this podcast. Well, full-time, my full-time job is your cousin. It is, right. It's a very demanding position. You, you're a very demanding cousin. You, you ask yeah. a lot of me. You know, yeah. once a year you ask me to show up to a podcast. I have uh, uncredited been making you edit all of these uh, podcasts as well. So for sure. and making me pay you for the the privilege to do that. You're welcome. So, You're very in welcome. In between, in the few hours I I have that I'm not slaving away for you, I work in communications, which I know is a very broad thing, but I work specifically in video production, internal communication, writing training creation things like that so like corporate video production i also am an aspiring screenwriter of sorts which i think is probably part of the reason that i'm on here is that i'm i consider myself a writer i also consider myself a lover of all things weird so i would i would guess that that maybe is another element i also write weird things i would think that that might have made me qualified for this specific book and then beside i'm a husband as well that's uh, that's another box that i i am in and that that makes it sound terrible that makes it sound like a, pri- a, <laughs> in a, a prison people in know a what i mean i love i love being married that's true yep but that's that's, that's probably a little idea of me and my life i have always appreciated uh you are a writer director all sorts of things uh you wear a lot of hats and i've always appreciated your work uh very much and so uh you have sold screenwriting material uh where i have not so <laughs> You are less aspiring than you may think. I so. appreciate that. It is singular. I have sold. I've sold <laughs> one thing. I don't want people to, no, no, to no, get no, the no. wrong idea. But that is true. That is true. Maybe I there should stop using the word aspiring. Right. Thank you, Paul. I'm going to walk away from this feeling very, very good. About you know myself. what? We're all about uh, positive thinking on this on this podcast. And mm, uh, you absolutely. know what? If you're screenwriting, then you're a screenwriter. And if you're writing, you're a writer. And there you are. I, I hope you're yeah. inspired, and we can start the we can start the critique now. Um, tell the people a little bit about uh, what you read. Yes, the book I read was Night of the Mayfly, which this is kind of a side note. I really would like it to have, you know, how '80s movies had theme songs where they yeah. said the name of the movie in the theme <laughs> yep. song. This is yep. so ripe for that. 
the whole time I was reading it, I was like, I need an 80s power song mm. about Night of the Man. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. as, as uh, what the book is about, uh, it, it's your pretty sort of classic noir story. You have a private uh, investigator trying to uh, solve a murder. There's a cheating husband involved. And am I for? Oh, yeah. It also takes place in a world in which people can morph into animals. Mm. Another classic noir <laughs> characteristic. Always, yeah. always with the animal more. It is so. Yeah, it's it's a mystery, and there's some fun social commentary in there. I'm excited for us to jump into that a little bit. It's a wacky and wonderful book, framed as sort of your uh, old school noir style uh, detectives. Things you appreciated about the book, and um, what are some things that could use some work. I, I think we have to start with the fact that it contains maybe my favorite opening line of any book I can remember reading ever. Can I can I read it? Please, go ahead. Can I say it? Because I absolutely adore go it. Ahead. It's one of those that just, it grabs you so beautifully right away, which was, it was about 6 p.m. when two men in gray coats barged into my office, whereupon one turned into a rhinoceros. That is, it's really quite wonderful. I, uh... I read that just like six times. I was just laughing and knew knew I was going to be very into it quickly. Uh, and so, yeah, I think what really jumps out to me that I especially love about it first is just the world building. It is amazingly less than 200 pages, but the amount of ground you're able to cover and sort of the mythology and the world you've conjured up is very, very fun and one that I would love to spend a lot of time, maybe not living in, but definitely reading about. Um, and so, right. like I mentioned up top, in this world, people can morph into animals. Mm -hmm. But it, it's, and please correct me if I'm wrong on anything that you, I, because I am interested in whether I caught everything and interpreted everything the way that you were thinking. Right. Um, but it's, it's not like a world where that's just something humans can do. Like, we've been enabled to do that through technology. Mm. Technology has allowed us to morph into animals, but we you're not able to choose what animal you want to morph into. It's sort of a situation right. where you basically like get in a machine, right? Mm -hmm. And you uh, it gives you this this ability to morph into an animal on command. But what I really liked about that, that I've seen, you know, I read Animorphs when I was a kid. I've you there know, you I've, I've 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 consumed some morphing content. Right. But I really like this direction you took it in, which was there are these very interesting benefits to being able to do that. So, for example, when you're when you've morphed into whatever animal you are, your human body ceases to age. And when you're in your human form, your animal body ceases to age. So one of the really interesting things that is people can kind of game the system to to live longer you know if you if you're lucky enough to uh more be able to morph into an animal who has a long lifespan you can vastly extend expand your lifespan as a human if you die too early mm -hmm. as a human you become your animal and can live out the rest of your animal's life so mm -hmm. just that is so brilliant to me that was one of the things i really really liked was it would have been very easy and and it still would have been quite good to write this book as humans can morph into animals and, you know, this guy uses it to help him be a better detective and he's right. a cat. And, you know, there's there you can see how some characteristics of cats might make you a better detective. Right. Great. 
but to have built out the world as much as you did um, really gave it some just that just some extra levels of, of interesting to me that I really, really liked. I wrote down just a couple of the sort of rules of the world that I really, really liked uh, that mm-hmm. injuries also don't transfer. Mm-hmm. If you, you know, if you get shot in human form, there's no injury to your animal, vice versa. Mm-hmm. Uh, the telepathy thing. And this was another thing I really liked how this could have gotten very confusing. You did this very cleverly, which is how you demonstrated that telepathy was being used as opposed to uh, someone speaking out loud. Mm-hmm. So if someone's speaking out loud and they're in their human form, it would just be in normal quotations. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to reach the end of my my punctuation. <laughs> no, knowledge. no, no, you're good. <laughs> what is this symbol called? I just call them carrots. They're like uh, the carrot, these little the sideways, side, greater the than, sideways, yeah, yeah, greater than or less than symbols, something like that. So yeah, exactly. Which also, and I, I would actually love to know right after I say this why you picked those symbols specifically. But every time they did that, and I know they were used for all the animals. That to to finish my thought, instead of quotation marks, those greater than and less than symbols were used when someone was speaking via telepathy. Right. But they also kind of look like cat ears <laughs> a little bit. Nice. And I didn't know if that factored into your motivation for it at all. So I'm interested in if there's any reason you picked those specifically. So I'll say I've done this in a couple of books, just like the telepathy uh, thing, the carrots, and the um, it's, it's absolutely just stolen from Animorphs. Uh, that's how um, they tend to uh, speak oh, to one another. I didn't re- I've, I've mentioned Animorphs and I didn't even remember that. I spent uh, so much time with that as a child. And for me, it just reminds me of like whenever I see those symbols, it just reminds me of uh, thought speak or something like that. And so that's just in my mind, that's just how it looks, you know, when people speak to each other telepathically. So... Yeah, but I agree. It's just an easy way to, you know, determine what was going on. And um, there was I I tried early on to make sure that, you know, the rules of that were set down. So I like when I'm saying this positively, Mm -hmm. you threw so much at the wall in this in this book. (laughs) This really feels like a go for broke book. There's a lot going on. And and there is a scene, spoiler alert, in which our main character attempts to well is basically drowning a cat there is a motivation behind it but full on like (laughs) in a bathtub drowning a cat and i was reading that and i'm like this is amazing like what (laughs) what a crazy swing to put in a book of i'm gonna have my protagonist yeah uh commit animal abuse (laughs) well and it's it's based off of like suspicion too it's like you know it's like i don't even know if this and yeah i mean you can go into spoilers and stuff but yeah sometimes an animal is just an animal and sometimes it's like a uh you know sometimes there's a person hiding behind it yeah i just thought that was an interesting um angle to take you know because mystery it's so much about masks it's so much about like hidden identities and i i don't know i enjoyed that a lot and Absolutely. And this is taken to even another degree. So it, it was fun to see a lot of those noir elements play out. But our person is interacting with animals. And so the right. imagery of that was was very, very cool. 
Yeah. And yeah. if I was gonna if I was gonna jump into maybe my first critique of the book, please. Yeah. It's just I think it could stand to be about two hundred pages longer. I've heard that a lot I, about a lot of these projects. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And what really jumps out to me here is because you're you're not only throwing a lot at the wall, I you're really trying to tackle, I think, some really big themes. D- different things that are covered in, over the course of the book in, uh, police brutality, human trafficking, sex work, like pretty big topics, mm-hmm. all very worth writing about. I would say maybe a little tough to cover in 195, 196 pages. Yeah. Totally. One thing I'd really like to talk to you about is I was reading the book and very early on, police brutality, police behaving badly is definitely a theme throughout it and mm. uh, serves as part of our character's motivation. He himself, he's a private detective now, a private eye, used mm. to be a police officer mm. and holds disdain for the cops for a variety of reasons. They're responsible for his brother and father's death. Mm-hmm. Although they're responsible half for his brother's death because his brother also exists the entire time as a dog. Right. Yeah. His human is, body is dead. His his dog body continues. So, yeah. Which is very, very fun. And I love how emotionally attached I grew to. I like animals. I'm not a yeah. huge animal person. I don't personally <laughs> have any pets. I'm not. So for me to get really emotionally invested in an animal story is actually kudos to you because that I think it takes a little more work with me than it might others I don't instantly love all dogs the way a lot of people do right yeah and so that I would put that as a as a check mark of something I enjoyed was I was able to be very emotionally invested in characters that I might not be in another story yeah, totally. So uh, it, since since you guys can't see the video feed, I'm writing something down right now because I don't think I used that joke, which is like, are you a dog person or are you a cat person? And like <laughs> the detective turns into a cat. So he's a cat person. <laughs> it was like, uh, anyway, so a it was cat such, a, such a wonderful, terrible joke that I could have used and I didn't. So there we are. I think there's a lot of wonderful, terrible jokes that did make their way in there, though. Yes. And I, you know me, I appreciate that stuff as well. So that was a lot of fun. But one of the things I wanted to ask you, police brutality being a theme, mm-hmm. and obviously that has been very front and center in our own national discourse this year. It's not anything new. It's a pretty sure. timeless theme. But as I was reading it, it felt obviously in, in parts very relevant. And I was surprised to then see, though, that you wrote this in April, which is which is prior to the murder of George Floyd, which really kicked off a lot of what we're seeing right now. Yeah, I was surprised that it was written before I. I, But I mean, it is a timeless thing, so I'm not like explain yourself, but it was interesting (laughs) to me that it was written in April. And I wonder now. With everything that's happened. Is there anything that you would change knowing you kind of wrote a a book about police brutality right before that once again came very front and center in our country? Let me. So, yeah, I, you know, as uh, as a couple of white yoders over here, you know, there are certain things that we just don't know. And that's fine. Yeah, I I don't know when um, uh, 
uh, Ahmad Arbery, I believe, um, when when he was murdered. That was very troubling. Um, obviously, there's yeah, that was in that was I think that was in February. Yeah, there's been troubling incidents all my life, um, and the frequency with which police brutality is just allowed to continue is uh i mean yeah like you said it's a timeless thing the the book is very la centered um and i personally i think that the sheriff's department is wrapped up with a lot of like um there are interior like gang activity police gangs uh, where you like get a tattoo if you you know uh, are violent during arrest our sheriff is a um horrible human being uh who is uh, vastly corrupt and like not to not to say like you know the sheriff in this book is specifically that sheriff um but our sheriff is like basically under the thumb it appears uh of some uh people who have like dirt on him and that's just how it seems to me from the outside again i i i wrestled in the book a lot with like the united states's uh ways of policing so like there's the police hired by you know our elected representatives uh ostensibly um and then there's the sheriff who's like hired directly by the voters and so there's this like difficulty where if you like criticize you know law enforcement of either of those sorts you are sort of directly implicating uh democracy and like what human beings Mm. believe like should or shouldn't uh be going on with our police we are culpable. Uh, we can we can stand back and like you know yell at the police. Of course, that's you know that's our right. Um, but we are also culpable. Um, we are the ones who like set the policy. And so yeah, it's a it's a difficult thing. What I would change. I mean, definitely a lot of uh, new issues were brought to light um, by the George Floyd protests. Um, a lot of great ideas came out of like how to do police reform. That's a question, you know, if I were going to revise, uh, I'd have to really consider very carefully. Yeah, it's very much a product of its month. I mean, you know, it, it's it's an interesting time capsule to have written it yeah. the, the month before and the month before things really um, were set off. And yeah. I and I think that was one of the things that was tough for me was I, I maybe found that message a little a little muddled. Right. And yes. early on, I, I, in the first, I don't know, maybe 15 or 20 pages, you're talking through policing in this world. You're talking through animal morphine. And right. there's a line that says something along the lines of, you know, if you're able to morph into a snake or a rat, there are police officers who just assume you're a snake or a rat, as you right. know. And so in my mind, I was like, okay. In this world, our our their par- our parallel for racism is how they treat the animals that they become. But then there's also a very real element of of ethnic based racism in the book yeah. as well. Yeah. And so for me, when I was like, "Oh, it's," I thought it was going to be this, and then it's this. Sure. To me, that didn't quite gel together. I might have picked a lane there i mean zootopia right that's the zootopia yeah. problem it's like oh predators and prey like oh what yeah. are you trying to say there like there's literally uh an animal system there that like where people eat each other you know it's like and and so and and it's a little troubling when you like equate those things but yeah it's a um i i think too that 
there is a sort of like determinism that goes on with you know the animal morphing because like if you can only become one thing you know uh what you choose to do with that like prescribed lot in life is kind of limited you know um and so yeah there's so much to explore there and it's difficult to like you said like narrow your vision to like okay this is what we're going to talk about um so yeah i agree that that might have muddled things for sure and i think a lot of these things like i said before they could they they'd be helped by a couple hundred extra pages where where you can flesh out these themes a little bit more these these are difficult topics to talk about in any context. It's difficult for us to converse about it right now. Mm -hmm. And of course we're, like you said, a couple of white Yoders limited in our perspectives and our knowledge and our experience. Right. Um, So I definitely would have, I would have wanted to see like, if we're going to write a book that's about police brutality, like if that's what it's going to be, Mm-hmm. Once again, you wrote this book in a month. It's it's that it's <laughs> right, funny yeah. to it's funny to critique something and then remember all of it comes back to the fact that this was written very speedily. Sure, sure. But at the same time, like, you know, that's the thing is uh you can approach a work of art like as it is, uh not just, you know, looking at like what's behind it or whatever. Um, but you can approach it like as it is and just, you know, level a critique that is uh not like auteur based, you know. It's not like really trying to examine, you know, the work behind it and the person behind it, but just um, critiquing a story as it is can help you find the flaws and the, you know, ways to improve, which is like what we're trying to do here. So definitely, um, I'm I'm in no way offended. Yes. So (laughs) yeah, the last thing I'll say related to this, this element of the story is, and in reference to it feeling a little muddled was the, Two of our characters early on, uh, Cal, our protagonist, mm-hmm. has it out with with an officer, and they have, well, I think, a really interesting conversation about, and this is something we've heard so much, which is a few bad apples, but of right. course, the, 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 the phrase of that is a few bad apples spoil the bunch, so it doesn't matter right. yeah. if, there are, if there are other good apples. Would you say, and, may, and I, this is maybe just what I read as I was going at the end. The end, in some ways, felt like it, it can, it can, like it conflicted mm-hmm. with that idea. At the end, there, it seems like there are a few good apples, who, um, who kind of help, help Cal in the end, and sort of, good wins out in its own way. Mm. Do you feel like those sort of ideas of a few bad apples spoil the bunch, but also there are, you know, good police officers in the end do help him out and help him to succeed in his mission, for lack of a better phrase. Do you right. feel that those are at odds with each other at all? So there are two, I would say, like standout, um, uh, like, you know, good cops or whatever. Um, and they both have to either like rise above the system or like go outside the system. So like Cal and his uh, family, you know, were involved in policing uh, with the sheriff's department. And then, you know, uh, suspicious things happen and Cal gets like disgusted and leaves um, and does his own thing. And then uh, the there is a there's a character who is like sort of like a middleman who is uh, trying to. Basically, the system constrains him to be a bad person. So he's trying to protect people, but in order to do that, he has to like uh, live with um, 
you know, bad policing or whatever. And then there's a third character who eventually does a run to become like the sheriff. That is a like trying to rise above the situation and like trying to, you know, reform uh, a bad system. But yeah, that is a that is a difficult thing. Um, and if I were going to expand the book, you know, I have most of the bad cops are like part of this like specific uh, biker gang or whatever. Um, like that's the, uh, the wolf pack. Yeah, it's it was it was almost um, and I wasn't thinking of this at the time, but it's almost like the Dirty Harry um, films where like there's this specific, you know, cell of like, you know, rogue cops. Yeah. And so I don't want to imply that like it's just one group or, you know, whatever. If I if I were going to continue on, like I would love to. I would love to clarify that, that I think that, you know, when you're stuck in that system, you are forced to make like compromises and it's, it's just tough. There are, there are like certain, um, you know, calls that we, uh, you know, we ask, uh, police officers to make compromises that, um, you know, sometimes, uh, that they should not have to make. Um, so it shouldn't be a decision between like letting someone rob a store and, uh, killing them or whatever you know we have a flawed system in that way and we have a flawed system that like lets uh evil people you know commit heinous acts and um actually rewards them for it so there's uh, an interesting number of documentaries where police uh are trying to make quotas basically and they have to make a certain number of arrests to like look good and to you know get more funding or whatever and so they'll cruise down to the place where they you know think they can uh frame people for stuff and they'll you know i i don't know if i make the observation in the text but like you can't drive from one end of the city to another without breaking some sort of traffic violation like it is literally impossible. And, you know, the same thing happens with so many elements of our society where like, if you want to arrest someone, you can find out like a way to do it. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a difficult thing. And I, again, nuance, uh, within 50,000 words is very difficult. Um, and Absolutely. yeah, I, but again, that's, that's like an excuse where, um, you know, I should really be saying like, you know, as I potentially expand this, um, you know, that'll be something to improve. Yeah. And I mean, I commend you for tackling this topic. Like, I think this is what the book should be about. Like, right. I think I think your themes are on point. It um, yeah, it's just it's it's a victim of its circumstance in terms right. of there's only so much you can do in the time that you were given. And I think it's very cool that you. <laughs> are, you know, opening the door for me to be able to express some of these thoughts. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, um, you know, that's something I've been uh, thinking about, like, as the project comes to an end is like, of course, it wasn't perfect, um, but it exists, you know, and like, it at least gives us a jumping off point to say like, oh, this could have been better. This could have been, you know, worse or whatever. Did you have any thoughts on like the mystery um, at the center of the book? Yeah, definitely. I thoroughly enjoyed uh the mystery that'll also that kind of gives me a chance to talk about the the title too which i think is is very very clever the title also i think is kind of a red herring a little bit we the the night of the i i had a very specific idea of like all right this is going to take place over one night the the idea being the woman who was uh who was murdered in this house explosion 
she can ch- her she can morph into a mayfly and mayflies have a lifespan of like 24 hours. So once right. her body has died and she's in the body of her 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 animal or in this case an insect, she has a very little time to live. Mm-hmm. And so that was a ve- that was a very fun ticking clock that I thought early on I was like, "All right, we have this much time to figure things out." Right. And then that period of time runs out about a third of the way into the book, right. which I was not expecting at all. Right. And so that right there is an example of good mystery where I really did not in any way see where it was going. So I, I yeah, I was very impressed with that and enjoyed a number of the twists and turns that happened throughout it. Mm-hmm. Do, were you going to say something you looked no, like no 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 i it's it's of. interesting because you know uh starting off this book uh i wasn't exactly 100 percent on like where the mystery was going to go um i thought okay. that like you know um 24 hours might be a good like starting place um and uh i wanted us to have like a reason uh to like move fast on a few things and eventually those things sort of like went to the back and I didn't really like have really good ideas of like why they needed to hurry up. You know, there was later on in the book, I had an idea of like, Oh, she can only identify the perpetrator in like her, you know, in her current form, like she can't really describe it to people. And so I don't know, it's, it's a, it was one of those things where I was focusing a little bit more on the characters uh, rather than like having this intricately plotted plot. And so yeah, I don't know. But yeah, there's there's definitely ways that I think that could have been uh, better. Like, for instance, Jamie, like, did not exist in the current, um, in the in the beginning uh, of my, like, outlining and stuff. Um, there was a number of things and that Jamie's I just And Jamie's came... the, br- the brother. Brother yeah, dog. Yeah, yeah, dog yeah. Dog brother. So, yeah. yeah, dog brother. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, you're my bro. You're my dog, you know? So, <laughs> I don't know. Um, just... <laughs> That's an un- that's an undercover. Comment. Yeah, here we go. Dog, we got dog, 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 bro, dog. Uh, anyway, yeah, there was just a number of things I came across where I'm like, ooh, I want that's interesting. I want to like look at that. And so eventually, just the the actual story changed. The reason why people did things changed. And so pulling back the curtain, like not a lot of this was planned right off the bat because I found things that were more interesting to me. I think in this instance, that actually served the mystery of it all pretty well. Because so about a third of the way in, uh, Vanessa in her mayfly form dies. Or mm-hmm. I mean, we believe that she dies, and it's right. a pretty, I, it's a pretty emotionally affecting scene. Actually, it's really, really well done. We come to find out near the end of the book that Vanessa is not dead and is implicated in everything that's going on. Mm-hmm. So not not one of the good guys per se, mm-hmm. which. Because we had this very emotional scene in which, you know, we she died. Mm-hmm. I was definitely not expecting, well, first of all, her to come back or for her to kind of take the character turn that she did. And so as much as maybe that was just a consequence of you, of the story just evolving as you wrote it, I think from the mystery side of things, that ended up being really effective. So I did know, like, when I wrote that scene that she was not dead. It's one of the, like, most effective tropes that I see used time and time again, and I always fall for it. 
is like the femme fatale, <laughs> you know, like it's because uh, I don't know, you're conditioned, like somebody comes to you for help and it's like, ooh, I get like, you know, brought into this mystery or something. And usually like the femme fatale actually has a really good reason for like, you know, uh, manipulating uh, the detective to like go and look at something or whatever. Um, I think she had a good reason to um, do some of the things she did. And uh, there's definitely like an ideological um, impasse that she reaches with uh, the main character. I, I don't know. That was interesting to me. Um, just definitely, definitely it's a trope. And that was one way that I like got away from it was just like, oh, she's dead. Like, don't worry about her. <laughs> yeah. And I, th- I think that was really, really effective. You also mentioned uh, the theme of like sex work and stuff. Um, did you think yeah. that was handled like okay or yeah i i did i i thought that was in several parts pretty elegantly done if like some of the other things not completely sketched out or taken to the conclusion it might have been right yeah um one of the things that i was very interested in Mm -hmm. was we ultimately find out that these sex workers are so everyone is able are humans who can morph into animals. And if I'm correct, the sex workers yeah. end up being animals who actually through a, a similar but different technology were then morphed into humans. Right. Yes. And that to me parallels the fact that throughout history, world history, but also our country's history, mm-hmm. and this gets back into policing Sex mm. workers have not been seen, have been seen as less than human or less than by lots of people, mm. uh, especially the police. If you look back at this, you know, probably uh, even now when sex workers get murdered, they don't care. Or in yeah. historically 70s, 80s, 90s, just would not even look into it. Mm. They were they were not seen as human. And so what you did was you made that in a sense, literal, Hmm. where they, um, they had this human form. They were actually embodied by animals. And Hmm. I just thought that was a really interesting way to like so many things that are projected onto them. Hmm. And I'm I'm just interested. Was that, was that kind of what you had in mind when you were, when you were writing that? Yeah, definitely. So um, right from the start of the book, uh, I'm sort of struggling with, you know, and this is something that I've uh, witnessed out in L.A. is just that, number one, if you are like undocumented, you pretty much don't have recourse to the police um, and you are in terrible danger. If you are undocumented and like smuggled into the country, whoever smuggled you pretty much has you over the, you know, has you over the fire and can drop you at any time. Yes, I I was definitely thinking of like, not only how uh, sex workers are treated by law enforcement, but how they're treated by men in general, or, you know, uh, whoever gets a sex worker is just like, it is often um, the the John is uh, doing a lot of like dehumanizing um, and is often uh, not interested in anything other than like the actual human form. This is a book about crime. And so uh, a layer of like vice, you know, is always a way to just like creep into a story about like murder and, you know, all these other terrible things. Because 
once you inch over like you know the prescribed rules of society uh you start to become in danger of like not being protected by the law anymore like i said you know it's it's very easy to break the law and then suddenly like you're dead to rights you know um people can shoot you and uh you know murder you in broad daylight and nobody will care because they'll be like oh they had it coming or whatever that's just a sickness in our society i also uh wanted to kind of examine like well what do we do with these things now you know like they were not originally human they look human you know what does that mean <laughs> so and i like what you're what you're getting at there because whether or not this is what you mean by what you're saying I like the idea of, and this is kind of me sort of translating the metaphor from the book into our world, which is sex workers have been so dehumanized for so long. Mm -hmm. And as a society, we are starting to realize that. That is a conversation mm -hmm. that is happening now. And what would it, what does a world look like where we start to see these people as what they are, which is human beings? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that metaphor holds up pretty well in the book because all these people look at them as animals. But, yeah, there is this possibility that they're going to be seen as more and ultimately they should be. Yeah. And yeah. so I actually really thought that aspect of it was was well done. I think there's more you can do with it. I think you can you can flesh it out more. But for sure. once again, I, I commend you for for taking it on. And I think I think that hit the target pretty well for me. What did you think of like the criminals in the book? I don't know. Was there any thoughts you had while we were introducing, um, you know, the rhinos and the, the dog fights? For sure. So well, yeah, that stuff is a lot of that stuff is pretty fun. Kind of classic. Uh, sort of your classic gangster characters. I mean. Sort of our, our mob boss in the book's name is literally Mickey, which is a pretty wonderfully he, yeah. over the plate name yep. for a mob boss. So, yeah, I enjoyed all those a lot. It, it The whole thing starts like an episode of SVU to me. Like, that's mm. kind of what I thought. Like, when we started out and intro, it, like introduces the mystery so quickly, I was like, okay, like, there's a little bit of world building early on. But I was like, all right, this is like, here's our cold open. Mm-hmm. Um, before we get into the rest of it. So I, yeah, I mean, I enjoyed the criminal, the criminal characters. I'm interested in, yeah. What was your motivation for the different animals that you chose these people to, to inhabit? Right. Because yeah. is it just, oh, this, because some of them would be like, this is, you know, like I said, the first scene, it's a rhino, which mm -hmm. If you want something very intimidating, like if mm -hmm. you're if you have like a henchman, which right. is what this guy is, a rhino is about the perfect animal that you can imagine for that. So what was your thought process on and maybe that maybe I nailed it there, but on as you kind of picked all the animals for the people and you don't need to go through everybody one by one. I'm yeah. just interested in how you arrived at why I chose a lot of the animals is like, what would be the coolest thing to like inhabit this, uh, you know? So like, um, there's a thief who's a raccoon. There's, um, the canine unit is literally canines, you know, things are just like more 
appropriate to your job or whatever. There's a level of like, again, determinism, like, you know, if I get this animal, am I just going to fall into a certain profession or whatever? When you introduce, you know, an ability like this in society, you just have to like, uh, begin to like find the cascading effects of it, you know? And you know, this is a writer, you know, it's like, oh, well, if this fantastic like technology exists, that changes everything. Like I, I can't just like assume that if magic is available, like why do you have to worry about farming, you know, or whatever, so. Yeah, and there's some long segments that especially talk about what it would be like to be a cat. Yeah, is this fun. knowledge you previously had or did, was there some research that went into that? Because I found those sequences to be very fun. Walking through the differences in how humans and cats see or, or smell or hear, I found those to be very cool and visceral. Did, so was there some research that went into those sequences specifically? Yeah, definitely did a lot of research um, and uh, just kind of tried to like think of like what would even the attitude be um, if you were uh, a dog or a cat or an owl or whatever. Like, you know, your your entire worldview shifts based on like what your abilities would be. And uh, I don't know, you can see like... Uh, Jamie the dog character like taking it in a very different direction than like you know the canine unit there's a character who can uh, turn into a very very small insect and uh, just like how weird and gross that is and like how you can't even really detect like what's going on around you because it's just so vast and huge and so I love facts I love the you know <laughs> I love I love the idea of like oh man if you had whiskers like you just know what is around you or whatever and so I'm glad you I'm glad you appreciated that because sometimes it's like am I just putting in facts because I know them I know I mentioned that there was a scene where a cat basically gets waterboarded but I would still recommend this book <laughs> to people who love cats because this book has a very high opinion of cats yeah, and because cats say. have a very high opinion of themselves. And so that's uh, that that is reflected in the narrator's voice. I re yeah, I liked how that translated a lot. So yeah. I'm looking through my notes. Yeah. There's just some little things I want to ask you about. Please, yeah. So we have a character who there's some very fun character names in this. But we also have a character whose name is literally Dylan Thomas. <laughs> and I I'm just interested in because how I read it, this book is very much, I felt about life and death, the impermanence of things. It's about what does it really mean to be human? So as I was thinking through these things, Dylan Thomas may be most famously known for a poem about death. Uh, Do not go gently into that good night would, would be a line that a lot of people might recognize. Is there any deeper meaning behind you using Dylan Thomas's name? in this other other than the fact that dylan thomas is just a great name i'm never like arbitrary about those things like you know i start off with one name and then find another name it's more appropriate for the character it's uh, like not something that uh a lot of people are going to catch when we talk about that specific poem which is honestly most mostly what i know him for it's it is a lot about like you know not accepting um, how things are. It's, it's, you know, to a man on his deathbed, just telling him like, spend every last moment, like fighting for more. That is definitely the outlook of some of the characters. And some of the characters are just like, Hey, I'm fine. Like, you know, you, you think like my life is terrible now that I am a dog. Like, 
it is what it is. Like, you know, I'm, I'm just gonna have to like keep on or whatever. Those are two like very different worldviews. When we talk about like thematic sorts of things, there is so like, there are so many topics to cover in just life. And so like not everything is focused on like, you know, just because like one of the characters is named this or like there's a theme about uh, police brutality over here. Or there's a mystery over here about like whatever. The book is not like 100% about that, you know, like it is definitely uh, going after that topic. And then like life, there's a bunch of other things happening. That's got nothing to do with anything. It's just I, I, I need to put him somewhere and like, you know, talk about weird stuff. Um, but yeah, I don't know. That was another thing. Wait, so that, I, yeah, that that sort of reference reminded me of another element that kind of was interesting to me in it. It's reference that unsolved mysteries is back on Netflix, which yeah. puts that in, puts the story in 2020 at least, but in an right. alternate universe yeah. where COVID doesn't exist. I did. You, was that just a fun thing you threw in there? Or did you think about it's an interesting alternate reality where you did, date it specifically to 2020 because i actually looked up that that show premiered in july of this year you know what i don't even remember i don't even remember what what prompted animals that. can't get covid right no that's yes that's, that's what it, i mean so maybe you should not yeah don't don't date the book too much by making it about covid but just for us right now that would have been an interesting element to see people really wringing out all their animal time to whenever they would go out in public right so as to not get it exactly no uh cats can get covid i've heard this oh so, they can yeah i don't think it like makes them wow. sick i think they just you know are hanging out with the covid so um but also minks i think uh uh they're i think was it the netherlands who like they they killed all their minks because they found some like COVID in there or something. I don't know. I think I did mention that like some doctors will like uh, use their morphs to like, you know, approach a, a, a patient and like, you know, as like a comfort animal or something, you know, because no one else can touch them. It is interesting to think about like everything I wrote this year pre-COVID and post-COVID is like very much going to be affected in the rewrites, you know, so um, some of the some of the books I wrote like directly, you know, directly mention it, and some of them uh, sort of assume that life will go on as it was, you know, and it just won't now. So how do we how do we change? You know, how is our uh, vision of the future changed uh, due to things that are happening now? I mean, that's as good a segue as any into the book takes a veer at the end into some spiritual elements. Mm. Um discussions of God and such. We both believe in God. Right. Yeah. It, it, to me, felt very organic and natural that those type of discussions would show up in a book like this. If you were to tell me that there was going to be a movie about technology has been created that can turn, you know, humans can morph into animals. Right. You know what's the theme of that movie going to be about? It's like, it probably is going to end up being about playing God, right? Like, you know, what's the moral aspect of it? So it felt very natural that those kind of conversations came about. Yeah. I'm just interested in your thoughts on that, on those elements. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I did, uh, there are a few characters in the book who, uh, hold a certain religious belief, um, whether that's, you know, 
I think I mentioned uh, a Hindu like transforming into a sacred animal of some sort or, you know, um, just just a number of things where like it does affect life and religion is a part of life. Um, but yeah, I also like gave uh, one of my characters a sort of Christian worldview. I mean, honestly, like coming from where I come from, it is very difficult to get away from like, you know, if I believe that there is like a an all powerful, all good God, you know, that is probably the most important thing I can write about, you know, but of course there is a, an agreed upon reality that everyone shares, whether you're, um, you know, Muslim, Hindu, uh, whether you're an atheist, whatever. Um, and so if I was just talking to Christians, I would have written it one way. Um, but this is not specifically for like Christians, you know, this is for, a shared worldview and then you get to talk a little bit about like oh what would that mean for this worldview or that worldview and specifically like since i believe that the point of almost everything like does eventually lead to god like it would be very unnatural for me not to write about that so totally get that i also love that you at one point i think just straight up stole some dialogue from the apostle paul yeah, definitely. There's, I mean, I, I do that all the time. Like, I mean, quotes and stuff and just like, I don't know. I mean, the, the book is like written by a character and so he can, he can put anything in there. Whatever he says is what he says. Like definitely some of me is coming through that, but like he can make all these bad puns and it doesn't reflect bad on me because it's him, you know, it's like Easter eggs, you know, it's like, uh, if you, if you find it, you find it. And if you don't, it's just a neat, neat bit of like writing that makes sense in the context so definitely did you ever do this as a kid you would go to the library and you would like pick up a book and read like the first sentence in the last sentence or the first word in the last word mm. and like try to that's guess? like no like huh. i don't even know why i did it i just as a kid <laughs> i would do that i don't know if it was oh yeah what what will the the first sentence and last sentence tell me maybe i would determine whether I would like a book based on just that. I just, this is all to say that the last word of this book is shit, which I think is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I, that's such a, that's such a wonderful final word for it. The last couple of sentences, I did say it was about as sad as I was then. What do you want from me, misery? I'm a private investigator in sunny Los Angeles who can turn into a cat. And the cat at least knows that I'm king shit. And it's like, it's, <laughs> it's a, uh, it's a note of defiance, I think. And like the character definitely does have a sense of humor, like as he writes this uh, story. And I think it's a, um, I don't know. It's a, it's a good way to like write at a remove, but at the same time, like put us in his head. I, in much the same way, I love the first sentence. I love that as a last sentence. So I'm just yeah. saying if I, as, if I, as a kid, I mean, if I, as a kid had read that word, right. I would have been yeah. horrified. But Whew. if I were to apply that same mindset into my current self, it's about as good a first and last sentence of a book as I could imagine. And what I liked about it, cause I, the book kind of ends in that, that kind of takes place in sort of the afterword of the book. Right. And reading that first part of the afterword, I was like, I don't know if this is necessary. Like, I don't know if we need kind of this additional stuff, but yeah. the last couple sentences, uh, brought me brought me back and that's like yeah because the last the last chapter is like very much an afterward it's very much like why did i write this book and like what's the justification behind you know this sort of detective uh memoir or whatever it's a weakness of mine that i do have to like put the point of the book into the character's like own <laughs> like dialogue or whatever um and just like 
try to wrap everything up just like very neatly and nicely. And um, I have uh, continued to see, you know, as the years go on, like it is very difficult for a lot of people to engage with subtlety. A lot of the people that you and I would know as like anti-heroes or villains are like unironically, you know, taken for heroes uh, by certain parts of the population. So like the Punisher, you know, like suddenly has become this like symbol of police departments where he is specifically like very anti-police and like very much like killing people extrajudicially. And like, I don't know, it, it becomes a little worrisome when like our, uh, you know, our art is used for something that like we didn't mean it to be. Uh, so I, I've been making things very explicit and that's, again, it's not like artistic. It's just like, I, I, I just want to make sure that people get it. So I don't know. <laughs> I really like, I like that you outline that. That's, that's so funny. Yeah. I also feel like this would be my own thing. If I was writing a book in which the whole thing was like a, a journal or right. it was identified that the person was writing it down, I too would feel like I had to go to a certain extent to justify why it was being written down. In the right. same way, if I were to ever make a found footage movie, in my mind, I would be like, I have to have an explicit justification for why they're filming this whole time. And I exactly. always get so mad at movies when I'm like, the cameras would be off 40 minutes ago. What are you right. doing? So I actually, Clo I appreciate that, <laughs> that like yeah. pull to, to justify that sort of narrative device. It's not like making an excuse for like why it exists. It is what that can do. Like, Cloverfield why is this guy still filming like why is whatever and he keeps on saying like oh we gotta like record this for posterity or whatever or, like you know we gotta like show the truth or whatever and that does come in like the the movie's whole framing device is like oh we found this thing and it's like you know it'll teach us about the alien or whatever <laughs> it doesn't hurt that much and it does help like it does you know i don't know what that movie would look like if they didn't keep justifying it or whatever but it would like anger me like as as a pedant uh i would be just like eh, but uh cinema sins uh, why would they do this why wouldn't they just act logically it's like uh. <laughs> so anyway there's there's a little bit of that that in all of us so well as we kind of come to the end yes i kind of offered some of my thoughts of what i thought maybe the book is about on a very broad level we talked about some of the themes but sort of the broad what is the point yeah um and i think you're making some interesting statements on humanity but i want to know what you what you think the book is about or what you i guess know the book to be about right yeah well i mean and that's the thing is is once it's out there, it is interpreted however, you know, it's going to be interpreted. Um, for me, like there was just a number of themes. And I think that a lot of uh, what I was thinking about, and I don't know, this is the only thing like you didn't cover, um, which is like the, the idea of like, personal accountability and vengeance mm. we do want justice like we we want to stop these like unjust you know practices that are happening in the book but like who's responsible you know like how do we mm. how do we affect justice if we just go after the bad apple or whatever or like 
you know, just whenever something bad happens, you know, we get up in arms about it and we address that specific instance, but never again. And it's like, mm. no, there's there's like something bigger at play here. Like somebody gave these people guns. Somebody like, you know, said it was OK to do this and that. And like there is a culture that like, you know, creates uh, a way for people to get into this. And so I think that was something that I was really wrestling with because, you know, we do want justice. We want people held accountable. But at the same time, like there are bigger systems at play on both sides of the law. You know, like uh, if if you can't make a living, you know, doing a certain thing, then maybe you go to criminality. You know, if you are constantly being uh, confronted with criminality uh, from day to day and you don't have like specific means of combating that maybe you try to be the punisher you know there are certain things that are in our control and like make us good or bad and there are certain things that are like out of our control that really take some work to like step out from under uh and if we want to change things like on a large scale for the better we got to do a little bit of both you know uh we have to like we have to you know deal with the human heart but we also have to deal with like you know, the systems that push us to do things that are maladaptive. So I don't know. That's, that was, that was, that was the only thing. I mean, you covered a lot of it and there's a, um, there's just a lot going on in the book. And I think that there are people who act poorly, who just are like rewarded for doing so. And you can't help but be like, Oh, I get it. You know, I would get why you would turn to, uh, being a criminal in that case. So I don't know. It's a, it's a tough thing. And you know what? I think we figured it out today, though. I think we have the solution. We've solved it. Yeah. Yeah. We so everybody who go home. I thought it was going to be two white guys on a podcast who were going to solve yeah, now, our biggest problems. There are enough white guys doing podcasts out there that you would think it would all be solved by now. Um, it, and the fact that it isn't tells you something. We can't solve everything today, but one thing we might be able to solve And this goes back to what's our personal accountability? What can we all do to make things better? It's don't put a Punisher bumper sticker on the back of your pickup truck. Right. Under any circumstance. (laughs) For the love of God, please don't do that. That's that's a that's a good point. I think uh, we can uh, leave the people with that. So um, tell the people how to find you, Austin Yoder. Yes. Well, before I do that, my last thought. Paul, I don't know what determinations you're going to make about which of these books this year you've written that you're going to revisit, mm-hmm. but I highly encourage you to make this one of them or make this the one, whatever you do. I think there is so much that was great in this. For those of you listening, you should absolutely read it. It's free. It's a pretty, it's a pretty brisk read and yeah. There's a lot of good stuff in it, and it's so wonderfully weird. I really enjoyed it. So I, I would love to see this evolve into something bigger and more complete. Yeah. So awesome. I just want to put that out there. Thank you so as much. As far as where people can find me, the social medias that I am uh, active on would be Twitter most often and occasionally Instagram. Uh, Instagram is mostly going to be pictures of uh, me and my wife. So if you're interested in that kind of – we're very good looking. Pretty good. So if you're you interested in that – if you're interested in that kind of content, I'd highly recommend it. But at Austin Lane Yoder, L-A-N-E, it's my just my full name. You can track me down. Um, some people really enjoy what I put out there. Some people do not. I retweeted today oh. a photograph of 
Nicolas Cage walking with his son, and Nicolas Cage full-on looks like Willy Wonka now. So <laughs> even if you don't follow me, definitely go to my Twitter just to look at that picture because it will make your day. It's valuable. And uh, the line between uh, Nick Cage and homelessness uh, grows ever thinner. Um, so we have that. Thank to, goodness. Yes, exactly. So we have that to look forward to um, <laughs> as as the years go on, uh, if nothing else. Thank you so much, Austin. I really appreciate you coming on. Yes, uh, I love you dearly, Paul, and it is an honor to have been included in this. I, uh, Yay! I had, a, I had a blast, so thank you so much. A blast was had. All right. Bye. 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 Okay, so we're done. Yeah. There we go. <laughs>